The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each week, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily web, excuse me, our weekly webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a look at what's moving in the markets and stocks to watch from here. My guest today is Ben Levison, Barron's incomparable markets editor, and he has plenty of thoughts about both. So welcome, Ben, and thanks for dialing into Barron's Live today. Hey, Lauren, I'm glad to be here. And you are incomparable. You didn't pay me to say that, but I really feel that. <laughs> oh, thank you for the compliment. I, I will take it. All righty. So the market is up again today, as it's been for quite a few weeks. In fact, the S&P 500 has risen for 14 of the past 15 weeks. And last week, it crossed the 5,000-point threshold, which means nothing except that Wall Street loves to fixate on large round numbers. So, Ben, I have to ask you, what is behind this move? Is it a strong economy? Is it better corporate earnings? Is it the promise of interest rate cuts? Or is it all of the above? I, mean, I think it's been all of the above in at different times and places. Right now, it's not about rate cuts because the market keeps pushing those out. Um, the, you know, the Fed has said that there won't be, there probably won't be a March cut. The market has said, okay. That's fine. Uh, they've pushed it out. And um, and that's, I think, because of the uh, strong economy. Um, that has certainly helped. The data has been great. Um, and the earnings earnings season, we'll talk more about later, has been solid, too. But there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. Um, I was reading Barry Knapp over the weekend. I love Barry's stuff. He's been uh, around He's forever. I'm I'm sorry. He's been he's, he's been, been a guest. guest. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he, he was pointing out that you really have, a, a you know, a couple of themes that are dominating right now. One being that, you know, we all know about AI um, and that is, uh, you know, helping uh, stocks like NVIDIA, which I believe is up almost like 50 percent just this year. Um, it is amazing. Um, but it's also helping other areas, including industrials. Um, not if you look at transportations or logistics, but the other parts of the industrial sector are doing really well, um, too. And that's, uh, you know, that's been a, a huge part of things. That's really benefiting off of, um, you know, this uh, return of U.S. manufacturing and the, um, the money that's being spent by the government to get, uh, to, to reshore, to get, uh, companies to come back to the U.S. to build things. So that's been a huge part of it. But I think the other part of it is also that, you know, everyone was, I, I should say everyone, a lot of people were offside coming into 2023. Um, and even through that peak in July of last year, there were still people that were waiting for that drop. Um, and then they got it and went through October and then the market rally started again. And I think that there's just been this catch up that's been happening that as more and more investors just keep throwing in the towel uh, on their bearish outlook. Not everyone, but more and more people are. And that's really helping to push the market higher. All right. Um, so this is a fear of missing out rally, otherwise known as FOMO on Wall Street. It's starting to look that way for but sure. But is that healthy? 
You know, it can be. Uh, it, it really can be if it's driven by um, if it's driven by fundamentals rather than, um, you know, if there are fundamentals backing it up and there very well might be. Um, you know, that's where the economic outlook comes in. You know, everyone thought there was going to be a recession. And it looks like not only is there not going to be a recession, but that the economy is going to continue to be very, very strong. Um, and, you know, so I think that's good. And when you look at the positioning, it actually has tracked um, the U.S. GDP expectations. This is coming from Deutsche Bank, but they pointed out that, you know, people are getting back into the market, but positioning is not extreme yet. And it's not. And they say that it hasn't risen in a vacuum. This isn't just people chasing the market, but there's actually a correlation between GDP growth and data surprises and people putting money into the market. Um, and that's that's all good. It's, it's, it's kind of uh, people following the fundamentals of the market. And so I, I think that means that you can't you know, necessarily expect the market to go up every week, but it sort of explains why it's been going up as much as it has. So it seems to me, finally, that good news is good news, namely good news about the economy is good news for the market instead of bad news, because it means the Fed won't be cutting anytime soon. Does that seem true to you? Yeah, I think that's that's right, that for now, you know, the market still wants some cuts, but they're willing to accept uh, maybe fewer and uh, later um later cuts. You know, it doesn't have to be the six that they were it was expecting at the beginning of the year, and it doesn't have to be March. You know, we have a robust economy. We might as well enjoy it. So I know you look at the fundamentals, Ben, but you also look at the market's technicals. And I'm curious what the charts are saying now. Well, I, I was interested because, you know, I, I looked first at this this streak that we've had, this 14 up weeks out of 15. And um, the folks at the Dow Jones uh, Market Data Group, they pointed out that this actually hasn't happened since 1972. Um, and so it, it got me, you know, a little bit worried, you know, I hear, oh, it has happened in a long time. We must be very extended. Um, and so I, I ran numbers. I wanted to see how extended we were. And so I, I looked at how far the stock market is above the 50 day moving average and above the 200 day moving average. And they're a bit extended. It's about 5% over the 50 day and 12% over the 200 day. And those are, you know, towards the higher end, not the highest. It's gotten a lot of further above those those indicators. Um, but it's, it's pretty high. But then I looked at uh, how the market does um, when it is this extended. So I looked at every indi- uh, every time over the last 20 years when the S&P was 5% over the 50-day. And over the one, three, and 12-month periods, the market actually goes up. And I looked at the same thing for the 200-day, um, except um, at a 12% threshold, and the market goes up. Um, and so just because the market is a little bit extended right now, um, you know, we hear people say, oh, it's got to come down. Well, actually, it doesn't. And history s- says that in general, it continues to go higher. It doesn't always. Um, it's a market after all. And would I be surprised by a pullback of some sort? No, but I also would not be surprised if the market keeps going higher. Uh, the one thing that uh, I did want to point out is that uh, there is still that weakness under the surface. Um, J.C. O'Hara, who's a, a great technical analyst at, at MKM, was pointing out that you have this uh, S&P 500 is trading 5% above the 50-day moving average, but only 62% of the stocks are in the index are above the 50-day moving average. And that's not great. Um and he looked at uh, the different times when when this has happened. And what he found is that you can actually have long periods that eventually something breaks. 
but you can have long periods of these kind of divergences. And that actually was what happened in the late 90s, where the, the first divergence happened in July of 1998, and it continued all the way to 2000. Um, so it can go on a lot longer uh, than people might think. You know, if I could sing, I would sing Happy Days Are Here Again, but that would probably jinx us, right? Oh, it's going to, you know, as soon as we get off the phone or off off this call, I'm going to look at the market and it's probably dropped like 500 points just because wow. I said all this. I don't think so. But I did want to go back to that notion of being a narrow market. This has really been a mega cap rally and it's been a pretty painful experience for investors in mid and small cap stocks, particularly value stocks. Yet small caps are starting to get a bid. And I'm wondering, is it serious or will it prove to be another head fake? You know, this time it it, it feels like it could be serious um, that we could actually get that that move higher. Um, it, today, the Russell finally turned positive for the year. It's the, the first time all year that it's been in positive territory, even though the S&P has had no trouble being there for after that first week, which was uh, kind of iffy. Um, and, and that's good news. Um, and a lot's going to depend on things like um, the U.S. 10-year, the, the 10-year Treasury, which is right now range bound. It goes from about 3.8% up to about 4.25%. Um, and one technical analyst I, I follow, uh, Rich Bensonier, was pointing out that he thinks that uh, as long as uh, the 10 year can stay under 4.25%, small caps should be doing fine. Um, and Jeffries was pointing out that this works kind of setting up to repeat what happened um, in March of last year. That's when you had the first trouble in the regional banks, um, signature bank failing, um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, et cetera. Um, and that really the, the small cap indexes are very heavy on banks. And so that yeah. ca caused the banks uh, that the index to really lag. But as you got through that, small started to pick up again and um, Jeffrey thinks that this can actually happen again, that as you get through this financial, again, this banking, this is even a mini or mini crisis than we had the last time, but that you could get better performance, both from some small caps and banks. Um, and it, so, I, so I think there are people who are very positive. We had a story um, towards the end of last year, I think by Jacob Sonnenschein, arguing that uh, small caps are looking pretty good and they've started off poorly. But I think that this trade could actually catch up. Well, it would make a lot of people very happy, but seeing is believing. Yeah, and it might take time. Um, Bank of America put out a note on small caps today, and they think that, uh, you know, there will be a small cap rally, but it might not come until June. All right. We will see what happens there. So far, as I said, you painted a pretty sunny picture for stocks. What could go wrong and ruin the party here? Well, the thing that I think most people expect is to hear something like, oh, a recession. But this recession just doesn't look, um, I mean, it's going to take something wild for a recession to happen um, right now. Um, you know, it's like the last time we had a recession was because of COVID. And, uh, you know, it, it took that to, to make it happen. Uh, the economy does look very, very strong right now. There's still people arguing about it. Um, I, I know JP Morgan, for instance, uh, Bruce Kasman continues to think of it as like, he calls it a boiling frog scenario where, the, um, the the economy, the, the Fed's tightening impacts the economy very, very slowly. 
and you don't realize it's slowing until it's too late. Um, but he's changed his odds that, that that used to be his base case. Now he says that's a 50% chance and the other 50% is that the economy just keeps going. Um, and if that's what happens, I think- That's not the, a usable prediction. <laughs> no, it's not, it's a coin flip. Um, but if we look at the economy and say, okay, the economy is stronger than anyone expected. It's holding up better than the Fed expected. It's holding up better than economists expected. Um, what if the risk is not of a recession, but that um, we're too hot and that inflation stops coming down? And I think that that's interesting. There's a, a scenario that was raised by Gavacall over the weekend, and they said that people are hedging for the wrong kind of risk, that rather than hedging for a recession, which would mean buying long treasuries, um, you should be hedging for inflation. Um, and that would mean buying commodities and energy and gold and, and things, you know, things along those lines um, that will benefit if inflation goes back up. And they think that that is pretty cheap right now. Um, you know, energy stocks have not done well. Um, they actually say that these inflation hedges are priced for almost zero probability of rising inflation right now. Um, and so that that might be a good place to be. But I think that could be the thing that people need to pay attention to is where when does inflation stop falling? Does it get to the Fed's target first or do we have a hiccup along the way? You know, this was something Megan Leonard interviewed Tom Barkin from the Richmond Fed last week, and she wrote about it on Barron's.com. And that's exactly what he's watching. He wants to make sure that inflation falls significantly and does not revive and yeah. that is that is definitely a concern of the Fed. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So we we will uh, definitely be following that news. So technically, we are still in the midst of fourth quarter earnings season. As I like to say, it won't be over until the retailers <laughs> sing. That's right. But I thought we should take a look now at some of the companies reporting this week and some of the issues driving their stocks. So why don't we start with DraftKings? It's been a winning bet in the past 12 months. The stock is up more than 100 170% driven by the growth of online gaming. And I'm going to bet that DraftKings had a great Super Bowl weekend, maybe even better than the Chiefs. So what's the earnings outlook for DraftKings now that the company seems to be on the cusp of profitability? Sometimes what I love about the stock market is how predictable it is. Huh. Um, we had DraftKings rally into the Super Bowl. Um, it actually broke through some resistance uh, around the end of January, at the beginning of February. Breaks through resistance, starts heading higher, rallies into the Super Bowl. And then what does it do the Monday after the Super Bowl? Fumbles. The stock drops. Um, it fumbles. Uh, it's down only 1.6%. So with a stock that has moved as much as it has over the last year, it's not really a big deal uh, that it's down. One of the things that's been, um, I think, exciting for, for DraftKings um, is like it's, it's actually gotten, gotten profitable. Um, there's, it's supposed to report a profit of $0.08 cents a share. That would be versus a loss of $0.53 cents a share a year ago. And sales are supposed to be up to $1.24 billion, and that's up from $855 million. Um, and, and part of this is because the, the, the competition was so cutthroat in 20, in 21, 22 to 23 that you know they all these companies were losing money. They were all promoting like crazy. They were just trying to fight for customers. And it killed them. And in a market where that wanted to see profits, it was not a good thing. And so it had a terrible 2022. But now it's that kind of period is over. Um, and Bank of America thinks that uh, that this kind of um, 
that this this would uh, th this is going to keep going for them. That, that you're going to have this environment where they're actually taking market share. Um, I, I think we still have to worry about the earnings print. Um, you know, they need to deliver that profit. Um, they need to deliver the growth, and they need to be able to say that they're continuing to take market share. Um, but a lot of this is really just recapturing. Um, a lot of this big gain that they that it's had in recent uh, in the last year is really just recapturing some of the losses that it had since uh, really they, it peaked in uh, October of 2021 about there maybe a little bit earlier, um, but it still hasn't even gotten back to those previous highs and it's a much more profitable and it's actually a profitable company at this point. Um, so I, I think it, it would be hard to expect it to double again um, very quickly, but there is still room for it to continue going higher. It'll be a very important quarter. And the company reports Thursday. So moving on, Biogen reports tomorrow. And Biogen's Alzheimer's treatment, Lakembi, is getting a lot of attention, but that hasn't necessarily translated into sales. What is happening at Biogen? And what do you think the company will tell us when it reports earnings? Well, it, Biogen hasn't really been able to excite investors for a long time. Um, it's Alzheimer's drug is really what is supposed to drive things for the company. It's what everyone was watching. If you go back and look at how it traded over the last oh, five years, perhaps, you see these huge moves in the stock up and down and up and down. And it's all because of um, it's Alzheimer's drugs. You know, is it is the data good? Is the data bad? Is the FDA going to approve it? Is it not? Finally, I guess the approval of the stock bounces, but it hasn't really gone anywhere since then. And it's largely because sales haven't been great. Um, they released uh, some numbers um, and er, er, earlier. Um, and so we know a little bit from third party stuff, just how well the sales have been. And they're better than expected. It was uh, three or 3.3 million um, in December. And uh, Jeffries is pointing out that this is uh, up quite a bit. The problem there though, is that even though the numbers are supposed to come in for the quarter around seven to 8 million, um, and that's a lot more, that's three to four times uh, third quarter sales, it's still well below what anyone expected when these drugs were first launched. Um, there have been problems with it because you have to get uh, PET scans to to take the drugs. They have to, to watch the brain. Um, it's been harder to get appointments. Um, and there have been some delays in reimbursements and things like that that have really made it hard for uh, there to be a real uptake uh, in the drug yet. And you're going to have an Eli Lilly um, um, compet uh, competitor coming to market as well. And that could make things even more complicated. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're saying about the drug um, and how well um, things are going what, um, overall. And, and one of the things to remember, though, is that uh, the company is it's it's not making as much money as it used to. It's supposed to report a profit of $3.18. Um, that's going to be down from $4.05, and sales are down as well. And if we look at a lot of these companies, the ones that are you know doing very well are the ones that are growing earnings and they're growing sales. Um, and Biogen just isn't doing that right now. So they really need Lakembi to work. Yes, they do. I, f I feel like the healthcare system needs to have a new template for dealing with these kinds of drugs in order to speed up testing of patients and, and get them into treatment. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, th this is a very tough one because there's still lots of debate about, um, uh, even though it's been approved, there are still, I, I think, people out there who are a, a little more cynical about, about the drugs. Definitely so. 
So let's look at Coca-Cola next. The stock has been dead money for a year. I want to know what has flattened Coke's bubbles and where does it go from here? Yeah, and Pepsi was very much the same way. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of this has to do with uh, two things. Uh, the first is that we are in a risk on market. Um, this is a bull market. Um, tech stocks are, are driving it, uh, the communication services, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, you know, that's what's driving your market. And that kind of market, who wants to own a defensive consumer staple? Um, it, it's just, that's it, not where the action is. You want to own that in 2022 when the, when you're in a bear market and Coke did very well then. Um, and so that's part of it. And then the other part is really this, uh, these fears about the, uh, the weight loss drugs like Ozempic that have, uh, people thinking, oh, you know, snacking is going to go away. Um, I, I think the, the latter one, you know, that, that idea that snacking is going to go away is probably overblown. Um, you know, people like their snacks. Um, and these companies, uh, we eat, I, th I think everybody, uh, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of us eat a lot healthier than we did even a decade ago. And a lot of these snack companies are still able to adapt. Um, you know, there are lower calorie versions uh, of, of the snacks and maybe people eat fewer of the, uh, you know, the Oreos. Uh, Mondelez was just a, a pick for us. They, they make Oreos, um, but they, they eat other stuff um, and Oreos are still very popular. So I think some of that is overblown. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for Coke, it's really just going to be about um, showing that they can, that, that it can uh, deliver growth. Um, it needs to, um, this is coming from UBS, they need to show that they can grow their earnings again in 24, um, even though there are some headwinds, and they need to be able to um, keep that going. Um, and, you know, right now, the stock, though, does look a little cheaper than it has historically versus its peers. And so UBS is actually pretty bullish. And I think that uh, there's probably a case to be made that um, the further the market goes up, the more attractive a stock like Coca-Cola gets. What's the dividend? Do you happen to know offhand? Um, I don't have it, but I can pull it up very quickly. Because that, that has often been an attraction for stocks like Coke. Yes. Um, let's see. Coke's at 3.1%. Pepsi's right around the same thing. Um, you know, these are good, safe stocks, and they are delivering earnings growth. Um, and so it's something that they're, they're not in favor right now and won't be as long as the market is going up like this. But when there's a pullback, they'll look a lot more attractive. And they kind of pay you to wait. They do. So, all right, let's move on to Shopify, the e-commerce platform. The company reports tomorrow. It gets a lot of attention on Wall Street. The stock has had a terrific few months. So tell us what's at stake in the earnings report. Well, they, they've been in a, they, they, Shopify is an interesting company because they go ahead and they provide kind of web services to smaller businesses. Um, and so it's the, uh, the websites and the, the, um, the merchant systems and things like that. Um, and one of the things they've done is that they're, they've actually been able to raise pricing. They announced a, a price increase just a little while ago. Um, and what they, they're going to actually raise it from 2000 to 2,500, um, which if, it, if they're able to push that through, um, they can, um, you know, that's going to help a lot. Um, what's interesting there is, but they're, they're actually offering a three-year plan, which gives you a lower rate. And so, um, Oppenheimer expects this to add 75 to 80 million overall, um, to the, uh, to, to sales. Um, and you know, there are people who are saying that, uh, 
you know, look at this and say, okay, the news is in the stock now. Look at it. It's up 88% over the last 12 months. It's up almost 50% over the past three months. Um, how is it going to, you know, th this is in the stock already. Um, and, you know, that, that's a credible case. The stock has gone up a lot. It's not cheap. Um, and so it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether investors do, are saying, um, you know, we want more. But you also look at the company. I'm doing a lot of on the one hand, on the other hand here. Um, but I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> I mean, and so that's where the bears are coming from. But the, the bulls are looking at it to say, hey, look at this growth. They're going to report 41 cents this quarter. That's up from nine cents. So they're profitable and growing fast. Their sales are going to go from two uh, from 2.33 billion to 2.8 billion. Um, so it's a fast growing company. So I think you do have to worry just a little bit about those expectations um, heading into into the print. But uh, and, and it is extended if you a little bit if you look at it sort of on a on a trading perspective. Um, so that's going to make it a little tough heading into the into the release. But it's doing remarkably well. Um, and uh, it, it seems like it's one of those companies that uh, perhaps it can do well over the longer term, even if there's a pullback on earnings. So the takeaway for me is on the one hand and the other, it's doing well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of hands. You can always, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's doing what you want a company to do. The only thing that stands out about it is that, uh, you know, it just has really extended itself on a trading perspective. I would not be saying rushing in to buy this right ahead of the earnings because it has gone from, oh, about, let me see, $81 to um, $90.71 in about five days. Um, and you know, that's, that's, uh, what it's about 10%. Um, and that's not the kind of setup I like when I'm, you know, if I were trading, um, I wouldn't want to be buying into that print. Yeah. It's 11% over the past five days. Um, and so yeah, it's something I want to watch after earnings and see how it responds. That's fair enough. We will be covering those earnings tomorrow. Yes, we will. So Ben, how has earnings season been going overall? Do you see any discernible patterns, positive or negative? Are there any predictive messages here as we look out to coming quarters? What's the big picture takeaway? No, I think it's been a pretty solid earnings season. And it didn't start off all that great. The banks were a little bit rocky, but uh, we had over th we've had over three quarters of the market cap of the S&P 500 report now. Um, and when you do all the math about, you know, what's reported versus, you know, the ones that are haven't reported yet, you know, you're looking at uh, earnings that could come in around uh, up 10.7% uh, for the quarter. No wonder um, the market's up. Yeah, that's great. Well, the market also cares about about the future. Um, and so, you know, you're seeing, you know, a lot of guidance and guidance is coming down, but it's actually not coming down as uh, estimates aren't coming down as much as they historically have either. So even though there has been a lot of reductions in guidance and all that, it's not as bad as um, as it could have been. Um, stocks that have beaten on both revenue and EPS are doing doing OK. They're, they've, they've actually gained 1.4% versus a historical average of 1.7%, so not as good as normal. And if you've missed on both, you're really getting hit hard. Um, you're down 4.3% versus a historical 3.1%. So the market is looking at things and saying, hey, you've got to make your numbers. If you don't, you're going to get punished. You're going to get punished more than you're going to get rewarded for meeting them. And that makes sense given how much everything has gone up. Uh, the one thing to point out is that because of how big the Magnificent Seven stocks are, 
there are distortions. Um, Glenn Mead was had an uh, interesting statistic where if you look at the consumer discretionary sector, it has a growth rate of 32%. But if you subtract Amazon, you get negative earnings growth for the sector. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind is just to remember how important those stocks, those magnificent seven stocks have been for the overall market. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. So there's a lot to cover about the economy as well, but I'm going to go straight to questions and cover them that way. John wants to know whether you have any predictions for CPI, that's the Consumer Price Index, and it's going to be reported tomorrow. This is something the Fed keeps a close eye on. It measures consumer inflation, and we have watched it fall from a peak of about 9% down to the neighborhood of 3 but not quite yet at 2 So John asks, and I ask as well, do you have any predictions for CPI? It's a t I don't want to predict the, the economic stuff because I, I don't have a, a good feel for it. I could tell you what smart people are thinking. Um, we'll you know, take that. It's, it's, expectations are for CPI to drop to 2.9% from 3.4% on a year-over-year -year basis um, and be flat on a month-over-month -month at 0.2%. Uh, Core is expected to fall to 3.7 from 3.9. So still, you know, not not a two, though the Fed is looking at PCE, which is much closer to 2%. Um, and it's supposed to do 0.3% month over month, which would be the same as last quarter, um, which again, that's all directionally great. I think what uh, is starting to worry people, and again, I'm going to quote JP Morgan's Bruce Kasman, is that last quarter you had a huge slide in good prices, and that really helped um, bring down inflation. Um, but you're starting to see that, um, if not reverse, you're starting to see that stabilize. Um, and you have to see the, the, the disinflation come from, from other places now. And that's, that's what we're going to have to see is that, is it coming through into the services side uh, of things? Um, because if it doesn't, um, then, you know, we're not going to get those rate hikes yet, uh, or those rate cuts yet. And the frightening thing is if it uh, doesn't come down, maybe we end up needing more hikes, which would, that would terrify the market. I think the market's okay with waiting for cuts. I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure it would not handle a rate hike again, or even talk of rate hikes. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. But you do see companies, uh, the Cleveland Fed has a survey that it puts out of uh, firms inflation expectations. Um, that came out today. Um, and th that has, they, um, companies are seeing 3.4% inflation over the year ahead. And that's down from 4.2%. Um, and it's the lowest since uh, 2021. Um, so it, companies are feeling good about it. The numbers are right now going the right way. So I'm going to, I want to assume that that's going to continue happening until we start seeing that evidence that uh, we have a problem. Fair enough. I like that answer. So moving back to the market, Mike asked an, in an interesting question. How much cash is sitting on the sidelines and how has it changed over time? Do you have any sense of that? The cash being, of course, the dry powder that could drive asset prices higher. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, I, I honestly don't know. And I actually hear people talk a lot about, you know, this idea of being, you know, pushing back against this idea of cash on the sideline. Um you know, I, I think there is some. I was talking to uh, at a Super Bowl party last night and talking to a, a friend who was telling me that uh, he's been so terrified of the market uh, for so long and so comfortable with getting you know five percent on his cash that he's been just sitting that way. Um, and so there there has to be 
a lot of money that's doing that. And I think you do get this kind of FOMO um, going on when even if you're, you know, five five percent looks great until you look and you see the the S and P five hundred is up twenty percent. Um, and at some point that money does have to come in how much it is and whether it's really the driver of things. I'm not sure, but, uh, it's probably out there and has an impact. Okay. Uh, there are places that do attempt to quantify it. We, we just don't happen to have the data at the moment. So Ben, we have a question from Lee, an interesting one as well. Do you think that part of the fuel for the market rise is the growing danger of living in other parts of the world? Namely, as he points out, NATO is under siege and Europe is therefore more insecure. Asia has problems, but the US, Canada and Mexico are far away from areas of conflict. Have they become a refuge for rich people's money? Does any of this have anything to do with the bull market in US stocks, do you think? I think it probably does. Um, I mean, and there are there's thinking that uh, it could uh, drive even more money into US stocks. Um, I can't remember where I was reading this or who told me it, but that uh, as Japanese investors start to get more comfortable with uh, with equities again, perhaps they will do uh, with stocks what they did with bonds, which is look overseas. And that would be a lot of money that could come to the U.S. Um, and, and I think partially that has been what's one of the things that has favored the U.S. besides, you know, the dollar being sort of the international reserve currency is that, you know, the rules have been pretty clearly set for capital. Um, it's, you know, companies uh, have been more free to grow. Um, there's less regulation than you have in, in Europe, more stability than you have in a lot of Asia, um, and certainly better uh, corporate governance than you've had in Asia. One of the um, interesting things has just been watching how Japan's rise has been tied to some corporate governance steps that it's taken and to see South Korea start to look at taking similar steps um, because, you know, people want to go where their money is safe and is going to be allowed to be put to work and to and to grow. And so, yes, I, I think to Lee's point, I, I think it does help that uh, the United States is um, right now a, a big uh, safe haven where it's just it's, it's partially the geopolitical stuff, but partially because we just treat companies pretty well compared to other countries. Right. It's all relative. Yeah. We have a question from Amol about Pfizer. What are your thoughts about Pfizer? That He notes that the company's stock has been stagnant. I love the Pfizer ad on the Super Bowl, but that's got nothing to do with the company. I, I guess stagnation is probably better than it has been uh, that we know was going on with it before, which was just uh, straight down. So, you know, I think if it could establish a bottom, that would be great. You know, we've been very positive on the stock. Uh, Andrew Barry wrote about it last year. Um, we were wrong. Um, the stock has continued to go down. But I think his argument still holds that the company does have cash. It has uh, good, solid research, good partnerships that uh, hopefully you know, eventually that becomes something. But right now the stock is still, um, you know, it's it's beaten up um, and isn't showing a ton of strength. Um, but as a value investor, you got to look at it and think that at some point this thing is going to be worth a lot more in the future than it is today. Right. For the patient. Yes. Uh, what do you see as the future for REITs in residential and commercial sectors? John wants to know, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, not, not really, unfortunately. Um, the, uh, the, the REITs have been mainly interesting to me just because they have priced in a lot more, they priced in a lot more trouble than, um, you know, when rates are rising than the private REITs did. Um, but now they're starting to bounce back. So you look at something like a Simon property group, um, 
which uh, really from uh, November of last year um, had a fantastic rally. And it's been going kind of sideways since then. Um, but I, I think with the, a lot of these companies that uh, stable rates is going to be helpful. Rate cuts will be even more helpful, but stable rates will be very good for them. Um, and and so I think that's, uh, you know, you still need to be careful of the commercial real estate aspect of it. But I want to go back to a something that uh, Barry Knapp um, had pointed out um, in, in the same note where he was talking about what's driving the market now. He was talking about the, um, the Fed um, and what it's, you know, the as it inverted the the rate uh, the treasury curve by pushing rates up so quickly um it's um you know it, it caused all these problems but it's it's interesting because he notes that the problem isn't the quality of the assets but it's the fact that the cost of financing them has become and become and this is his word prohibitive uh relative to the price they were purchased for and I think that's what is the, the scary part of the Reese markets. But we're now starting to hear about interested investors looking to come in and pick these things up for the right price. So I think that the there could this is going to be an interesting time for REITs, especially those that might have cash to put to work if they can pick up some um, properties at uh, interesting prices. This speaks to the era of free money and things that got very out of whack during that period, real estate values among them. Yeah, I mean that refinancing risk is is a problem, um, yeah. and you know if yeah, something that worked when you were paying three uh, percent probably won't work when you're paying something closer to six seven or eight. Right, right. A lot of a lot of strange things happened, and uh, the payback is now. So, last question from Richard: Are there small AI stocks that we should be paying attention to? I'm sure there are. There are. I don't know which. I don't know who they are. Um, that's, well. Uh, We'll bring Eric Savitz and take him on. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. It's like, that's where we need the, the tech folks to, to, to weigh in. Um, okay. Small cap growth has done very well. I'm sure among those are the companies that are expected to benefit from AI. I just don't know any names. Fair enough. Thank you so much, Ben, for telling us what you do know today, which is a great deal. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you would like to listen to this session again, please visit barons.com slash live or visit the Barons Live podcast channel on Apple, Spotify, or amazon.com. Next Monday is President's Day. We will not be broadcasting. However, we will be back on Tuesday with more market talk and investment insights. So we hope you will join us again next Tuesday. Thanks so much, everyone. Stay well and have a good week. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.